Thank you for listening to Digressive Obscenity. Follow us on Twitter at Digress underscore Obscene. And rate and review us on iTunes. We're sitting pretty close to each other here. Are you uncomfortable? About half an inch between our thighs. Are we recording? Yes. This is live? Live. Are people listening to this right now? Live from New York City, it's Saturday night! Mm. Take it again. Take me here. Live! So you know the gestures, because you need a cut gesture, but you didn't know the throwing it to you, Phil, gesture. I thought that was the double-fingered, like, fuck off. No, there's a golf sale. That's a gun. No, that's a gun. Right, that's a gun. That's a golf sale. Or, it's, like, it's like a sloppy military salute down by the shoulder. Fuck off, officer. <laughs> fuck officer. Fofficer. Fofficer. SK Fofficer. Getting sassy in here. Oh, God, this podcast is a disaster. Digressive. Obscenity. Shit, what was I talking about? Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Digressive Obscenity. That's what it's called. Yes. Or Spam Dancers, Slam Dancers, the podcast. This evening, my guest is the immersive, earthquaking, Philip William Fortes Tucker. Hi. You're not supposed to talk yet. Shit. Tucker. You're doing great. <laughs> Hi, Paul. Hi. So, Hi, Paul. Hi. Start us off, Philip. Who are you and what do you do? Tell me about you. My name is Phil Tucker, for those of you who didn't catch the intro. Mm-hmm. And I am a writer. Sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes I am an SSA officer. And what does SSA stand for, Philip? Special, special secret assassins. At least that's what they told me in the job interview. Special, sorry, special secret assassin? Yes, it's the best kind. So you've kind of given that away right now. But the thing is, I'm lulling to you and the audience with a false sense of confidence. I feel kind You're of You're thinking right now, it can't possibly be that. So what you're saying is the sense of confidence that I'm feeling is false. And dangerous. Wow. Well done, because this feels totally... <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, was that your crotch? Okay. <clears throat> Segwaying into the question segment. Questions. Stop asking me questions. What is your first memory of me? Of you? Of me. Paul Guyett Jr. Jr. That would have been in high school. Uh-huh. Lake Highland. Ooh. I think I was walking down the hall, and it was one of those busy high school scenes where there's like a lot of people coming. Sure. And then about like in the distance, you could see this approaching, sort of like obelisk or sure. figure, but kind of like in slow motion. You know, like in uh, Rushmore. Times at High. No, Rushmore when he's walking away from the elevator after he's sticking his gum on it, and he's all slow mo. Sure. You were kind of doing that walk in slow motion with your head kind of down. Uh huh. Just parting people with your arms. Sure. Actually, I have no idea. I don't remember. That's fair. But it was in high school somewhere, probably at break. Makes sense. Through Sunir? I think through Sunir. Maybe through Will. High school. Friend of the show. Big friend of the show. I know this is a big one for you, Philip. 
finally, face to face, man on man, skin on skin, skin on skin. (laughs) What is your favorite moment of The Simpsons? Well, I'm a big fan. Absolutely. And I would have to say that my favorite moment of The Simpsons Mm -hmm. is the Bartman song. Bartman song is pretty amazing. Yes, it has a special place in my heart. Actually. Sure. You know, Michael Jackson wrote that song. Honest Engine. You've got a very good poker face. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to Google this right now. No. Yeah, okay, open a window while you're listening to the podcast. Who, Who are you talking to? In the microphone. Road. Road? Road. Hi. R-Z-D-E. And Michael Jackson, writer of The Bartman. Of Do the Bartman. And then they can tell you later. Don't you want to know why it's my favorite moment? Fine. <laughs> okay, fuck yeah, I won't tell you. No, what is the fine? What is why? The reason. Yes. Actually, I'm glad you asked. I am glad I asked. The reason is because in fourth grade, mm-hmm. it, for some inexplicable reason, was very cool to be able to recite songs word for word at, during break. Okay. So you'd all be standing around kind of nonchalant and then suddenly someone would step forward and kind of half shrug and just start doing Vanilla Ice or Turtle Power. Of course. And so we would all go home and try and learn songs so that if you got called, you could do the entirety of it smoothly, nonchalantly. And I found The Barman to be my favorite song to recite. So now, as in, there would be a lull in conversation. You know, a bunch of fourth graders hanging out smoking. (laughs) carrots and then you would just step forward and kind of be like yo hey what's happening dude everyone would kind of turn and look at you and think it was conversation but then you'd continue mm-hmm. I'm a guy with a rep for being rude I would do the whole song but bonus feature bonus feature bonus feature also that moment when Bart goes yo oh god no dough no that's that's Homer other than that that's one of my favorite moments what are you listening to right now, Philip? <laughs> One of my favorite songs, actually. It's by uh, a Soviet. A Soviet? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't even know his name. But it's like... la 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 I don't know his name either. I don't know. But that guy. That guy. He's good. He's um, very good. And he actually has a lot more stuff than people think. Does he? Um, I'm all, I've also been listening to... What have I been listening to? That one Pixie song. <laughs> that one Pixie song. <laughs> and recently, Grace and I, Grace being my wife, we went to a concert hmm? um, for Krishna Das. Krishna Das. And uh, that was actually really cool. It was two hours. And it's sort of like, it's the traditional Indian kirtan, it's called, where he chants and then... You chant back, so it's like like just singing together, me and him. So it was really just an hour. It was actually two and a half hours. But only like an hour and 45 minutes, because he would go, ah, for five minutes, then you'd go, ah, for it's five like minutes. It's like alternating lines. Yeah, which means he's only really doing half of it. That's true. Yeah, he was coasting. It was actually really good, though. Cool. And I've been listening to a lot of uh, Rage Against the Machine recently. What are your feelings on the machine in general? I don't know. They seem to be pretty political. No, I mean the angry. machine that they are raging against, not the band raging against the machine. I haven't got a clear sense yet because I don't often understand what he's saying. 
What are your thoughts on the people of the sun? Brazilians? I really don't know. He has that song about the people of the sun. Is that about Brazilians? I don't know. I started listening to him because he's really good when you're in the gym. Absolutely. <laughs> I was listening to the Scissor Sisters at the gym because <laughs> they have really good sort of energy. They have a song called Electrobics, which is, it's about being too just limp-wristed at the gym and people making fun of you. And then he becomes like a huge ripped beefcake of a man. Well, the problem was I was listening to that on Pandora. Mm. And that tends to bring up a lot of Mika. Oh, Mika! Yeah, yeah so you that's a little less. You're, you're going you know down into a squat or something, and all of a sudden Lollipop comes on. Yes. Yeah, so. I was like, you know what? Pixies and Rage Against, Rage the, machine. against the Machine. It, it keeps it more on track. More audio slave instead of Mika. Sure. What are you reading right now? I am reading several books. One is by an author called Arthur Mackin, mm -hmm. um, Dream Hill. It's actually really good. I'm also doing a lot of research on the Black Death and the 14th century in general. Mm -hmm. uh, learning a lot of disturbing facts. No. Not as fun as it's been portrayed in films. No, today. it's not. It's really, really awful, actually. But they, they did have some good games. You know, people think that they didn't know how to have fun, but they had this one where they would take a cat and they would strap it to a post, right? And then they would take turns headbutting it with their arms tied behind their backs, with the goal being to kill the cat before it tears out your face. So the cat would be bound around the chest so it had its, its yeah. arms and legs free. And you had to step up and just headbutt it. It's kind of like Jenga, where everyone takes a turn removing a brick, yeah. but you're trying to be the one who kills the cat. So not really like Jenga. Now, I'm happy to say that I don't know how easy it would be to kill a cat with just my head, but I feel like it wouldn't take too many turns. You'd have to be committed. Well, but there's also that natural hesitation because it's got its claws out. It's going to let that silence play out a bit. I don't know. It doesn't say in the source material how long it took. But they had bull baiting, bear baiting, sure. cockfighting. Cockfighting was considered Master a kid's baiting. game. Master baiting. No. <laughs> that was a sin. Oh, um, yeah. Killing a cat with your head is not a sin. Actually, that's probably fun. right. That's not in the Bible. <laughs> Thou shalt not kill a cat with thine head. But, oh, Onan, no, he can't spill his seed. Yeah, no. Yeah. So. so, yeah, I'm reading a lot of cheerful stuff, really. Yeah. Very and good. juxtaposing that with the Twilight books. With, of course, with of course. Twilight books. Got to keep it light. Got to keep it separated. What are you watching right now? I just finished The Fall on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Netflix has become sort of my go-to place for shows. Sure. Uh, and that was actually really good. The TV series with Gillian Anderson, not the movie, the crazy artistic movie. Right. Okay. That was actually surprisingly good. We discussed mm -hmm. this earlier. I saw um, Baromir in a movie called Black Death. Okay. As research again. Of course. Um, and he was playing the character Boromir? <laughs> it was really great. That sounds... Confusing. He seemed really confused for a lot of it. Where are the trolls? Exactly. That, that's not how he sounded, I don't think. That's actually from Snuffbox. If Boromir, what's his name? Matt, Matt Barry? Barry. If Boromir had been played by Matt Barry, that would have been a great improvement. What are you playing right now, if anything? What am I playing? Yeah. You're not really a gamer. 
Um, yeah, I don't really play a computer yet. I tried downloading one from Steam. Okay. On their Valve portal or something. Okay. <laughs> and they would, he wouldn't let me play it. It said my computer was too slow. Have you ever broken a bone? But I called Valve. Uh-huh, yeah. What did Valve say? <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were like, so what are you running this on? And I was like, well, it's um, this and this and this. And they just sort of like made the sound that people make when they just shake their heads slowly and then they hung up. Okay. And a good friend of the show, Jim Potenza, recommended um, a phone game uh, for the Android called Bard's Tale. Oh, yes. That's old school. That's really good stuff. So I've been playing that a little bit. Um, but it seems to involve a lot of just walking through maps and finding random things to kill, which never really interests me. So. You're looking for the uh, the red and white, black and white knight. Well, actually, I would love to play more of what you just introduced me to, which is the Walking Dead sure. game. Because that seems to be very story-focused. Absolutely. A lot of emotional resonance and less killing rats for experience points. I don't think you kill any rats, actually. In the entire thing? Um, let me think. Not yet. I mean, I've played the first season and the 400 Days expansion, which we pretty much almost got all the way through. I don't think there are any rats. Fair enough. I don't think. Then it definitely seems But it's amazing. absolutely worth it. It's, it's life-changingly good stuff. Did it change your life? It did, because um, it's really hard to get an emotional response from me from a video game. Um, and there's parts in the, the, the larger campaign when you really get attached to these characters where it's like, you have to make choices, and that timer is just disappearing in front of you, and it's like, what these are all the worst choice. What happens if you don't make a choice before the timer runs out? Uh, it usually picks one at random, or sometimes it does the, the dot, 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 which is you don't say anything. And so it's like, you must either kill him or let him live, and then just dot, dot, dot. Oh, no, in that case, that was either kill him or let him live, and there was no timer. Like, That's those right. are the ones where they linger on it. Those are really important story beats, whereas others are like... I'm without words. I have no idea what to do here. Yeah. But there's some just really shocking stuff in that. And it's it's like much like the comic in the show. It's not about the zombies. It's about the choices you have to make. And it's just it's harder to make these choices than it is to read the comics where people are making these choices or to watch the show when people because are making Because you're the making the choice. Yes. And you really do. They do a really good job of getting you attached to characters. It's not just like, oh, he helped me with a magic cross of healing. It's yeah. like... And I was really impressed with the first three episodes we just played. Each one was like a really great dynamic and yeah. put you in a really difficult Absolutely. situation. <laughs> um, have you ever broken a bone? No. Never? Never. Congratulations. Thank you. Wait, haven't? No. No, I haven't. Nick's, my brother Nick's done all the bone breaking in the family. I can imagine that, that somewhere there's a portrait of a lot of broken bones. Yeah. So whenever I fall down and I don't break something, like for two call days, Nick up. I stand up and laugh, and Nick somewhere like collapses with like a shattered shoulder or something. Excellent. That's the upside to having almost twin brothers. Yeah. You yeah. Have to pass on the worst of it. So what does Mark get? Your oldest brother. Just like, can you eat a lot of Indian food and he'll get diarrhea? <laughs> it's an awful, awful connection. I just thought three different things. I'm not going to say. So he might hear this. Oh, I'm sure he'll. I'm sure he'll he's a big this. fan. Is he? He's a no. He's not. No, he's not. Of course not. No, he is. He's a big fan. He's a big fan of things, just not. No, he listens to all your stuff. Do you collect anything intentionally? <laughs> not since childhood. Garbage pail kids. Um, actually, no. These days, I try and get rid of things. Mm -hmm. Try and 
the only thing I've been unable to get rid of successfully are my books. I'm still schlepping around. I don't know how many hundreds of them. I do remember when you moved in, you basically brought a suitcase with all your clothes for several months and then a suitcase with books. Yeah, moving with books is not really a good idea, but I keep doing it. I even went to, when I went to Australia, I took a box of books, which was a really bad idea. As icebreakers? Or like, did you, like when you were there, did you read that box full of books? I didn't read any of them, but they were my favorite books, and I put them on the, on the little shelf next to the bed that I stayed in, sure. and uh, it made it feel a little bit more like home. Okay. So it was less to keep you entertained and more to like remind you of home. Right. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, other than that, I don't really, I don't really understand collecting things. Like as an, as an idea, like what, do people just put them and look at, put them out and then look at them and say, these things are mine. I own them and that makes me happy. Is that? I mean, in as far as I collect things you know I, I like to have posters from the Nine Inch Nails shows I go to and what it used to be is you'd get like the poster for the tour and recently what they've been doing is you know they have the show that they did in Madison Square Garden on this date you can get a lithograph from that show so it's kind of like you know it's not like I'm, I'm suddenly going to forget I went to the concert without that piece of paper on my wall but it's cool looking and it's also like yeah that was a really great show so I guess it's in my case I mean there are some people that collect things simply to display them no, 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 we, we, we don't open the action figures. We, we look at them, and we dust off the cases. We don't touch them. No, no, you can't have that. Just look at it. Shh. So you don't lie in your bed and just look at your posters and in the, like the depths of the night, just kind of laugh to yourself? They're all yours. I mean, I laugh in my bed in the depths of the night. But not at the posters. Not specifically. What are you laughing at? Right now, nothing. I'm not actually laughing. No, but when you're in the bed in the deeps of the night... Oh, anything, anything at all. Something floats into my head. And you just laugh. Movie, just laugh and laugh. I laugh and laugh. You can hear Chris Locker door. Yes, we have separate <laughs> bedrooms. My wife and I. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, your phone rings, and it's Robert Hollywood, the vice president of Hollywood. He is on the phone. He wants one suggestion from you to make the entertainment industry better. Turn all my books into movies. Done. Now. Let's digress. What? What's the first movie you remember seeing? And how did it affect you? I have an awful memory. You do. So I actually don't even remember movies I was seeing in high school so much. Okay. But the one movie that sticks out is Spaceballs. Okay. I probably saw that in middle school. Yeah. Um, and I remember it because I wanted everyone to see it because I thought it was so funny mm -hmm. but I didn't trust that they would find it funny or understand why it was funny Okay. so I felt compelled to explain to everyone why it was funny as it was going so you'd bring people to see it and then tell sit them sit them down and then we'd start the movie and then the spaceship starts to scroll forever Yeah. and I would sit there really excitedly looking at the screen and looking at their faces and looking at the screen and then after maybe like two seconds, if they hadn't started laughing, hmm. I would point out to them why it was funny. Wow. That's and a, then they that's... would all turn and like just look at me and then look back at the screen and then they wouldn't find it funny. And then I'd be like, okay, I'll tell them the next bit. So that wasn't really a successful way to introduce people to it. So do you think it was because they didn't get it or because you were over explaining it or because you got it and they didn't and they were like... I think it's because I was over explaining it. Gotcha. I was a bit too eager. Sure. Yeah. So what I learned was that when it comes to, you know, 
that you basically have to let people watch space balls on their own terms. This is a life lesson. I, I used to push my music onto people, and I, I try not my own personal music. That's neither here nor there. But like my favorite bands, I would think that everybody would like them, and I, I have stopped pushing them onto people. I've stopped pushing Spaceballs. No, you don't have to stop that. That's a great movie. That is a hands-down... Okay, well, then I've stopped explaining the jokes as they happen. Thank you. Okay. Tell me about the last dream you remember. Because this is always something I've loved about you. Even though your memory seems to be kind of dissolving, you always have the most incredible dream recollections, and you'll often call me upon waking and explain to me these amazing dreamscapes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had like a number of great dreams recently, but the... I've forgotten most of like the last couple days, but last week I had one mm-hmm. that actually woke me up because it's like one of the few nightmares I've ever had. Nice. Um, I think I've had like three or four, but yeah, it was that woke me up. Oh, okay. And it was something along the lines of it wasn't linear. Like it was, it was sort of it kept shifting scenes. Sure. And it wasn't me. I was like a guy in like late thirties, early forties. And it was sort of like the scene in New Jersey after Hurricane Sandy when all the lights went out. Sure. And you had uh, all the buildings were in the dark streets and everything was empty. Mm-hmm. So I remember driving through and it was just like nobody anywhere. Dark windows, dark streets. But on certain intersections you had the cops had set up these like big lights. And that would just sort of illuminate like one pocket and emphasize all the darkness around nice. it. So I was in a high-rise building with all the power off. And outside the, the, the building, it was all like that. And there was different parts to it, but the part I remember was that I was on the, I was on the balcony with this girl. Um, I wasn't me, so I wasn't married. Mm-hmm. And she and I and this other girl that wasn't there had just had some fun. But the other girl had left, and I don't know what we were doing, but then the other girl came running back to our apartment, started pounding on the door, begging to be let in. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the girl that was with me on the balcony, and she was coldly was not going to let the girl in. Sure. So I go into the apartment to see what's going on and I realize there's something happening in the bathroom and all the lights are off so I had a flashlight and I go and I push open the bathroom door and in the bathtub is the corpse of a businessman like he's wearing a suit. Sure. But his head is like I think was turned around backwards or something it was obvious he was dead but he was still thrashing and he was saying in this really sort of like enthusiastic tone he was talking like regular business talk about how he wanted to introduce me to this stock and blah 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 blah. but the entire time he's like thrashing in the tub and then he like starts climbing out of it and coming at me but in like that horrific like speed zombie way where you know they just want to kill you yeah but the entire time he's coming this voice of his is telling me that you know it's you know this nasdaq stock is going up and it was so calm and it was at such an such like contrast to the body yeah so I run out of the bathroom and I slam the door and he like bursts through it and I run to the balcony where there's a sliding door and I slam the sliding door closed and he comes and starts battering at the sliding door on the other side and he starts tearing it open and I can't get it to lock so obviously I'm on the outside. Sure. So he finally rests it open and he comes charging out onto this dark balcony and he comes at me and I would like to say it was jujitsu or something, but it was Brazilian just pure, jiu-jitsu. I think it's because he couldn't see where he was going. Mm-hmm. He ran straight into the side of the balcony, which was uh, only waist height. And, just and then I turned and shoved his back and he f- flew over the balcony edge. And I looked over the edge, looking down, I saw him falling and turning. And just before he hit the pavement, I, in my dream, I pulled back because I didn't want to see him splatter. 
And so that, that woke you up? No. No. Then it got worse. <laughs> I won't go into it, but it involved like going down into a series of basement rooms to try and help this kid or these a couple of young girls who were like really upset and afraid. Sure. And we were trying to escape, but the rooms, it was like that game in the the ninja game with the slow stars in the spectrum yeah where the rooms weren't sequentially oriented like you go one then you go back and it's a different room then you go yeah. back through the same door it's a whole different room mm -hmm. so we kept trying to escape this basement where we only had a flashlight and there was some strange ambient green light mm -hmm. and there was something that was down there that was trying to get us and you know that feeling of persecution you get in dreams oh sure like that thing with uh, the five heads from the video game you need me you, you they, need me that yeah. something like that was just always on the border of our site and I'm trying to keep these two little girls calm as we're like just sprinting and the frustration is building because we keep stumbling back into the same rooms no matter which doors we take yeah and then it, it kept going and it was and at some point I just woke up and I was like okay that's wow good stuff man as always what's the worst job you've ever had well I've had I've had jobs. several yeah. bad jobs and I've had enough bad jobs that I've come up with something called the shit test ooh okay so if you're doing a job that at any point fails the shit test, you know it's time to leave. Okay. And the shit test is you look at what you're doing and then you imagine outside in the hot sweltering sun mm -hmm. a pile of sort of liquescent feces, <laughs> green, higher than your head. Okay. Pyramid shape, just sure. out there. Like uh -huh. the air is shimmering, like the back of your throat is immediately coated in grease as the humming of flies. Yeah. And your job is to take a shovel and move that pile of shit from one end of the garden completely pointlessly to the other end of the garden. Okay. And if you find yourself at, jo at a job and you said, you know what, I would rather move that pile of shit than do what I'm doing right now, then that job has failed the shit test and it's time to quit. Now, are you referring to your time in Australia when you were moving? There's two. The two times piles of shit with a there, shovel. There are three jobs that have failed the shit test. Okay, what are the three shit test failing jobs? The first was in college. I was I signed up to be a janitor. Wow. Yeah, because uh, the restaurant was only like a, two blocks away from where I lived in Longwood. Oh, okay, not four. Oh, oh, oh okay. Oh, yes, the Stone in, Grill. Yeah, the Stone Grill. Yeah. I worked there a week. Wow. And it wasn't like I didn't mind mopping. I didn't mind all that stuff. But the ladies' bathroom. Was they had a bar and it was frequently horrific to go in there, and one day I went in and I saw something in one of the stalls that I just quit. Yeah, I remember you told me that men's room is messy. It's awful. It's always the same thing. They always puke. They always pee all over the place, and that's about it. But women, they seem to be vindictive. Vindictive towards me, the janitor. Yes, who they don't even know. No, so I don't even know why they would do it. But gotcha. It was just something that one of the women did to the side of the stall, and I was like, they're not paying me enough. Okay. So that failed the shit test, ironically, in a bathroom stall. Yeah. Um, the other, the next one was in Australia. Yes. That actually almost, actually, to be fair, it was about to fail the shit test, and then I found a way to ameliorate the situation. Sleeping in the bathroom. By tripling my lunch breaks and <laughs> stuff like that, taking three hours off. Mm -hmm. But that was looking through a microscope at small little metal flanges about the size of your pinky nail yeah. for eight hours a day and having to file them down. Uh, if there were any imperfections, and you do that for about like 800 of those, and then you'd go on lunch, and then you'd come back and you do another 800, and you have to go wash them in like the, the special thing, and everyone's in special suits, and it's all for um, audio Security. implants. Yeah. So that was pretty bad because I actually 
didn't help my vision. But it was actually a really interesting group of people to work with because a lot yes. of them were like very educated. Okay. And they had left uh, seeking political asylum, say, in Australia, leaving Vietnam or Russia or Iran. And since they were doctors or lawyers back home, but they weren't um, certified, sure, they couldn't get any jobs like they used to have. And this was the best job that they could get with the air conditioning um, and sitting down and working with their hands. So I was actually working with a really interesting group of people. I think to my left was a, a Chinese doctor, or he had been. Mm -hmm. Across from me was an Iranian woman who told me a lot about Iran, which is fascinating. There's a lot of there's a big Polish contingent. And there was a lot of Chinese people in general. Okay, and what's the third job? Third job um, was being a mortgage broker. Because hmm. then I had to actually pr pretend that I cared about finance and selling people houses in, or financing their houses in the Miami market. Yeah. Which was horrific because there were so many sharks and so many people were being screwed over. That in order to be competitive, you had to decide if you were also gonna be equally corrupt and just lie to people and take their money or you would just have to be a bad mortgage broker because you would tell people what the actual interest rate is and they would call you a liar because the guy down the street was two points under the the rate set by the fed which is impossible okay so then they would come back to you after the guy had tried to screw them say oh i've got to close in one day can you set up a new mortgage for me and you're like no i can't i'm sorry nothing i can do to help you now so i was not only hating my job but I was really bad at it because I never closed deals because I was always telling people the truth because you're not an evil bastard no wow so well, that was that was awful Jesus zombie apocalypse escape plan who would you want with you where would you go I would have my wife Grace mm -hmm. and escape plan hmm I'm guessing this is like the beginning of the apocalypse like it's just starting to break out people basically, are basically you've caught on You've caught on that something is clearly wrong. You know it's not bath salts or whatever, and you know it's time to get out of Dodge. Well, you and I have talked about this extensively. At length. And I've thought about it a decent amount. I think the first thing I would do would be go and rent a U-Haul truck. Okay. Um, then I would tell Grace to meet me at Walmart. Okay go to Walmart and buy all the survival gear we can get our hands on. Walmart actually has these really incredible buckets of dried food. Sure. It's something like 25,000 calories in a bucket. And it lasts like 10 years. It's for the survival freak guys. It's basically like 25 samosas. 25 samosas. For $15. For f it's a really good deal at Walmart. <sighs> so either I get those buckets or the samosas. Mm -hmm. But when I went in once, they had the pyramid of them, like t taller <laughs> than you were. I was like, there must be about... A billion calories. thousand <laughs> calories of dried food here. So I would go and just buy that pyramid. Okay. And then you would get camping gear, guns, um, all the canned food, tablets. all that stuff you get at Walmart. Sure. Then you would get um, as many big um, gallon drums as you can also at Walmart mm -hmm. uh, and go to a gas station and fill up as many of those as you can until they tell you to leave and then you go to the next gas station. You Basically you're trying to get as much gas as you can. Sure. Um, and once you've got all the gas and all the survival gear in your U-Haul, one of you drives, one either Grace or I would drive the U-Haul and the other one would drive uh, our four-wheel drive car mm -hmm. and we would head north into Vermont. Um, there's a guy that Grace is friends with that has a farm. Mm -hmm way out in the middle of nowhere in northern Vermont. And I think I think I know where he keeps the key. 
Um, so we could probably head up there. Okay. Really isolated. Stock up. Wait and see how things go. Okay. And if things continue to get worse, then just continue heading north. Okay. Until eventually. Well, that's north the thing. Pole or eventually you've got to start growing your own food. True. So that's the other thing we would do. We'd also stop by Home Depots and stuff and go to the garden center and buy all the seeds. seeds. Sure. And shit. And then I don't know. That it's almost kind of silly to plan that far ahead. That's a solid beginning, though. Absolutely. So. Good. But that also depends on doing it like immediately before everyone else does the runs on Walmart and stuff. See, this is what, yeah, this is the upside to us, you know, having such uh, our finger on. Well, the actually, it's negative because the this I just three times now I've done that run already, misreading the signs. Hmm. Bought all this food, rented the U-Haul truck. Turned out it wasn't the zombie apocalypse. Had to go back and return it all. But you just had a wonderful vacation. And Walmart will take it all back. You've probably bought and returned the same eight hundred thousand calorie pyramid. Yeah. Four or five times. You too, if you're too prepared, you can like you can get triggered by like false events. Better safe than sorry. That's why I tell Grace. She's she's been a good sport so far. <laughs> Third three times that's fine. Four times. Yeah. No. Yeah. Of course, the fifth time is when it'll really happen, and, and she'll then feel I really get to bad. point at her. I mean, ah, ah, ah. Tell me a joke. Um, where? Does a general keep his armies? Where? Up his sleeveys. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only one I got. Wow. It was that or the red and white, black and white knight. And I didn't think he wanted that one. On Bonus feature. Bonus feature. Fantastic. Now, let's get specific. Ksing. Thank you. Let's get specific. What is the first story you remember reading? The first story? Yes. Shiza. Uh, or l- let me rephrase that. What is the first story that just captured your imagination? There was a series of illustrated um, sort of like chat books. Because you're illiterate. Right. It really helped. Um, back in Portugal, mm-hmm. in the British school that I attended to, which was really fantastic. It was done in sort of like really creepy, ghosty pastels and very atmospheric. And it was about this kid who um, starts being able to see invisible people around him from an invisible society. And his cat starts talking to him and gives him a silver key that allows him to join this sort of unknown world. And then he starts sort of, he like, I forget how it's been so long, but he like, I think either he's on a broomstick and there's like all these sort of like supernatural dangers that are threatening him and his new friends. Mm -hmm. But really creepy dangers because they're sort of like log people. And the graphics were terrifying. Okay. And he'd have to go into the woods to accomplish something and all these log people would start lurching out at him and the pictures were horrific. Or the stone people who were also equally horrific. And I think I must have been in like third grade or something, second grade. And there was just this like, this air of like mystery and potential and magic with a lot of like, Menace, elemental menace. Menace, and but like a lot, also just the sense of potential that it could be so much more magic and like supernatural stuff in the world. Sure, that was just really caught my imagination. And I recently actually tried to find those books, and I found out that they are now going for something like two hundred and forty-five pounds a chapbook. Wow, how many were there? There's like eight in each. Those four four series, and those eight in each one. 
So somebody it, must have scanned those. They were written as like uh, reading pathways to help people improve their vocabulary. Oh, so they're like school books, kind of. They, but they, but they, you wouldn't be able to tell it picking it up. But that was their intent. That's why they were commissioned, I guess. Because it sounds vaguely what, what you're describing is part sixth sense, part Neil Gaiman, and part Harry Potter. Well, have you read Susan Cooper's *The Dark Is Rising*? I have not. Oh, you really should. But it's a lot. It's got that feel of a young kid being inducted not into just uh, a fun boarding school magic world like Harry Potter, but mm -hmm. a world of actually a lot of very ancient evil and terrors and a lot of dark stuff moving and rising up. Nice. And he has to sort of like try and deal with it. I guess I haven't read the Harry Potter books, so maybe that's what happens in Harry Potter. Voldemort. A little more pink. I guess. A little more baby fresh? A little more baby fresh. When, when did the, what's called, sorry, The Dark Rising? The Dark Is Rising by Susan Cooper. When did that come out? Late 80s, I think. Oh, good. Okay, so J.K. Rowling is, you're basically accusing one of the most beloved no, children's it, writers of plagiarism. No, no, no. It's got nothing to do, The Dark Is Rising's got nothing to do with Harry Potter. But what I'm saying is... But like, you've never read Harry Potter. So maybe it is? I don't know. I might be accusing her. So you're going back 100%. I'm potentially <laughs> accusing her. But I don't think so, because it's not like a little wizard going to a boarding school. It's more like someone being thrust into ancient druidic, sort of like elemental powers and societies. Okay. The Dark is Rising by Susan Cooper. Yeah, it's actually five books, uh, and the best one is The Dark is Rising. Okay. Well, I'm looking for new stuff, so. There you go. Okay. Um, what is the first world you created? As a writer, not as a, as a deity. Oh, thank you. First world I created. Well, a lot of I'm, as you know, uh, a big role player. I love Dungeons That's and actually, Dragons. Yeah. How did how did the role playing thing like tie into this? So a lot of early role playing was coming up with not entire worlds. It takes a lot of work, but just sure. like a new part of a countryside with a couple of towns and some problems going on. Okay. Um, but it, an entire world that I created, it might actually be, I don't know, because I do a lot of also just like taking our world mm -hmm. and injecting some supernatural into it. So it's sure. it's like a dark mirror of our world, like the Grind Show has demons, Yeah, but it's still but New Vegas York City still and New York, York City. City yeah. And I don't know if that counts as creating a whole world. Um. No, I mean maybe maybe like instead of just a dark reflection, more like changing it so much that it could be an alternate reality, something like that. Although no, I guess that that, that finish is kind of blurry too. Yeah, I really am. I'm, I haven't really done a lot of the fantasy thing like Tolkien, where you say, and this is the country of Ladramar. Yeah. The capital of Ladramar is Suplu, at Let the me mouth tell of you the about river. The father of this horse. Which is actually a really fun thing to do if you have a lot of time. A lot of time. And tolerance. <laughs> um, but there's also. That also doesn't have too much to do with writing a book. Yeah. Because. Or maybe it's, it's very complicated. It depends who you talk to. Like you can spend a lot of time creating a very complex and real world. And then you tell a story which will only reveal 10% of it. Sure. But the other 90% will inform the tone of what you do reveal and make it seem more real. So that can be a very worthwhile pursuit. But I really do instead enjoy exploring how like normal people react to the supernatural. Mm -hmm. So rather than writing something about Conan, 
whose morals and values and approach to life is so different from ours because he regularly faces demons that if he sees another demon, it's just like time to draw his sword and kill it. Sure. Um, I'd much rather say, you know, what would Paul do if one night walking home, he saw someone crawling on their belly in this really horrible way, moaning and gasping into a sewer hole and just flop down into it. Then all of a sudden, Paul would be like, wait, did I just see that? Should I go take a look? Probably shouldn't because I know better. <laughs> but Fuck yeah. <laughs> but maybe I can at least take a couple of steps closer and peer into the sewer hole. And then he looks down there and he sees like a rubber skin suit or something. Mm-hmm. His like all of a sudden it's like you being thrust into a crucible of like, you know, of action. Like you must suddenly act like exactly in The Walking Dead. Like you're given a horrible choice. Yeah. And then it determines what kind of person you are. Mm-hmm. Um, that is what I find fascinating, which is why when I write books, it's usually like The Grind Show or One by One or Crude Sunlight. Those are the situations where normal people have to deal with horrific things. Sure. So I don't really go into world building. Mm-hmm. I go more into like world distortion. Okay. Interesting. Um, what frightens you? What frightens me? Aside from quotidian things, like... And definitely not you. <laughs> Touch me. Um, <clears throat> let me adjust myself. Yes. One thing that has always frightened me is trying to deal with irrational people. Okay. Because if it's a like I'm drunk, but I want to keep going to the club. No. No. Okay. Like, let's say that you're, for example, Gerald's Game by Stephen King. Oh boy. You know she's chained, handcuffed to the bed, mm-hmm. and she's spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Page two. But then, spoiler alert, the guy with a suitcase full of penises comes in. Traditional Stephen King. Of course. And he just stands there looking at her, leering and rummaging through his penis suitcase, just staring at her. like, And she's like looking at him and he's like, there's no way I can talk to him. There's no way I can reason with him. Yeah. There's no way I can connect with him as a human being to get out of this situation. I am helpless before his irrationality. Like, he is inhuman in many ways. Sure. So dealing with some sort of horrific person like that where there's nothing I can say there's nothing I can offer or do he's still going to do whatever his id is driving him to do that I find to be terrifying okay especially if I were handcuffed to a bed and a guy showed up with a suitcase full of penises what if it was me and they were all molds of my penis but they were in like bright friendly colors no that's fine that's fine that's not terrifying is it fine or is it not terrifying? Because I need to know right now. <laughs> I think that's something that we'd need to explore. I'm so glad you used those words. Deeply. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I don't actually have any phobias, though. Like spiders or rats or... That's good. People who chop off dog tails or whatever. Like There's n- none of that stuff that really scares me. Gotcha. I mean, I'm not a, fun, like a fan of a cockroach, but... You know, I don't feel like I need to stand on a chair and then just wait for someone to come back. Eek. Yeah. Gotcha. So, switching a bit. As you said, you are a writer. And uh, at the <coughs> moment... www.transinme.com um, What I heard was www.transinme.com www.trans with me. No. What I heard was trains in me, which is it not the site people you want throw, to go to. You throw gang signs and say trans with me. Trans with me. Yeah. Um... Don't go to that website either. Let's just keep rolling. Yes, just keep rolling. These are some websites you should not visit. Yeah, ignore those websites. 
Um, so you have decided at the moment to pursue self-publication. At this point, you've put out eight, eight, eight books. Would it be gauche to list them? Would it be gauche to mention Crude Sunlight? Would it be I think it would because you and Jim already did that in a previous podcast. And given that our readers are faithful readers, they Constant will have faithful readers. not only have heard the list, they would have noted them down and probably bought them by now. So Most I think likely. we'd be preaching to the choir. I'm sure. And I do like to think of my listeners as a choir. It's less of a fan base and more of... You know, angelic sort of supple boys who dance silently to the song of sliding leather. (laughs) So you have chosen at the moment to uh, to self-publish. You self-published eight books so far, or seven novels and one novella. Eight novels, one novella. Eight novels, one novella. Um, What have been some triumphs and some defeats? In the self-publishing game, or business, or business, 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 or businessy, which one? Industry. No, businessy tree, big nasty tree, a big nasty tree. <laughs> Some of my what are your thoughts on a big nasty tree? Coming at you with a suitcase full of <laughs> <laughs> quivering dicks. Can't reason with it. <laughs> Can't reason with it. Kind of do it. Kind of just. Kind of do it. <laughs> Woo-hoo. That was my Ricky Gervais impersonation. Woo-hoo. You did it better. Yeah. Um, some successes have been when Throne was downloaded something like twenty five thousand times uh, in like four days. Mm-hmm. That was a little crazy. Sure. I kept refreshing and the number had jumped up by like two hundred, then clicking another two hundred. Nice. And it was just mind blowing to think that across the country, two hundred people had just clicked to download it. Yeah. Um, that was back in the day when having a, a promotion on Amazon for a free book actually was... Meant something. Actually meant something. <laughs> um, another success was getting my Kickstarter funded. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I Double. No, not double. Twice one as and much. A half? One and a half, yeah. Doesn't not double. People. Twice as much. Twice as much. That's two times puttrainsinme.com. So that was actually really, really awesome. I was actually kind of very unsure about putting that out there mm-hmm. and um, a lot of family came through a lot of good friends came through and all 25,000 members of your family <laughs> all 25,000 <laughs> they all came through and donated five bucks each and I made a million exactly I'm gonna do that now every I have year. a small boat now I have a small boat Lego <laughs> boat yeah <laughs> so that was that was fantastic um, I sent my first book crude sunlight to an author called Jeff Vandermeer mm-hmm who is uh, a pretty big name in the weird fiction circles, like China Mievel. Nice. Um, and he read it. Um, I basically, like, he was like doing some freelance work, and, he, and I paid him to do a review, and he came back and said some really encouraging things about it. So it was great to get a professional author to sure. support it. And had you been a fan of his and respected him, or was it like, hey, he's a professional author, he should read this? Kind of both. Okay. Um, other successes. Just every every heartfelt review that comes in that's a positive is really huge. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to get like a one star review that's just written in gibberish, but it's almost the same for someone to give a five star review that just says awesome book. Yeah, you know it's like great, but if someone actually takes the time to write why they liked it or what they appreciated about it, I mean, just getting the five star review is awesome. But mm-hmm. if someone those few times that. Actually, it hasn't been that few, luckily, over yeah. all my books. But 
there's been a ha there's been a nice amount of times where people have actually written a really thoughtful and appreciative review, and just reading that is really affirming, and it's just really great to have that momentary sense that someone else was on the same wavelength. Sure. So those are infrequent because a lot of people don't take the time to write out what they thought, but when they do come through, those are great. Sure. Well, I mean, now today, I mean, it's kind of depressing, the whole ebook thing. Books have now become as disposable as music, which is, I'm sure a lot of literary people are just rotating in their graves at how that But happened. on the other hand, the fact that it, the, the walls have fallen and the gates have opened and the sure. turrets have been knocked down and yeah, yeah. Everybody the drawbridges have dropped and the moats have been drained and um, the keep has been burst open and the boudoir has been, you know, the door has been thrown open and the bed has been made available to all. The windows have been cleaned. Really nice literary castles are Drapes now available. Are open. To, so it means that anybody who has a passion for writing can actually take a shot at getting their stuff up there. And even though that means that there's a lot of books that aren't ready to be published being put up, sure. it also means that it's no longer the case that a few publishing houses can say, these are the 10 books we're publishing this year, or these are the 500 books we're publishing this year. Yeah. The rest of the books that we liked but don't have time to publish, you guys are just going to have to wait or give up. Um, so it means that a lot of great authors are now getting published and some to enormous success. Mm -hmm. So while a lot of books are becoming disposable and there's a lot of bad stuff out there, it also means that a lot of authors are getting a, a legitimate shot to make their own way, own their own product, publish when they want to publish, create the covers they want to create, title it what they want to title, take the vast majority of the royalties home, and own the rights in perpetu uh, perpetuity. Mm -hmm. So that is huge. So it's a mixture, it's like a blessing and a curse to have that much competition, yeah. but to be able to compete at all is also awesome. Okay. What was the question? I don't remember. Uh, something about a quivering bag of... Anything that's been sort of like the downside of that, like, Jesus, why am I still doing this? Um, the downsides of self-publishing is that you're not just a writer. Mm -hmm. You're also a marketer. And you're possibly a cover designer. Mm. And you're writing the back copy of your own book. And you're in charge of finding your own editor. And making sure the editor does a good job and then paying the editor and reviewing that person's work and basically doing everything that a publishing house does. And if you're in it just to be the writer and you think that you can finish it, type the end, send it out to be published and then immediately start your next manuscript, you're very quickly awakened to the reality of the game. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to be an entrepreneur in many respects and you have to take on a lot of different responsibilities and those can be very burdensome and they can take a lot of the fun out of the writing for you. Yeah, it's when the business gets in the way of being hard. Right, you become a businessman. And that can actually be a real real drain because you put your book out there and no one buys it. Is it because the book's no good or is it because no one knows that it's there? Yeah. And then you gotta start doing, you know, Facebook and Twitter and promotions and BookBub and all this stuff and, and the problem with that is you seem to only be reaching, like you said before, the choir. Like obviously the your fifty closest friends on Facebook can buy a copy of the book. Right. But why are they gonna go out and tell somebody else to buy the book? So that can be really hard, and it can be really discouraging. And one of the things I've read, all the professionals, uh, what they've all said is that the people who make it are the ones who don't give up. So Makes sense. If you continue for 10 years, and you have no success, but then finally someone notices or it picks up, the guy who quit on the ninth year 
killed he, himself. And killed himself horribly. <laughs> he never gets the cushy castle. Of course not, because he's dead. He's dead. Yeah, very um, good. So that's, that's actually uh, a big con, depending on your kind of personality. Some people love self-promotion. They love connecting and networking, and that's great for them. Yeah. If you're more of the reclusive author type, then that's not so hot. Like Thomas Pynchon. Like Thomas Pynchon. Yeah. Um, another negative is that you still might not get taken seriously by a lot of the public. Mm -hmm. You say, oh, I published a book. They're like, oh, that's amazing. They look at you with adulation. Here's a candy. Would you like a candy? Well, they, 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 you know, they, they, they get ready to throw roses in. And they're like, who's your publishing house? Or who published you? And you're like, gotcha. I self-published. And then they immediately step back and they like collect the rose petals off the ground. And they're sure. like, oh, oh, that's great. My uncle self-published his narrative of fishing tackle lure creation thing. And he like, even got it printed. It was $200 for 100 copies. It looks really nice. And they're all in his basement. Yeah. So there's still a little bit of that mm -hmm. going on. And people, like a lot of book reviewers, are like, if you're self-published, you won't look at it. Wow, Straight really? Because also a lot of self-published authors are crazy and really <laughs> evil and nasty to deal with. My and if you don't give them a five-star review, they turn into like the absolute prick and they make your life impossible. Oh, wow. So okay. you only get burned a couple of times before you say, I'm not even dealing with self-published authors at all. So there's a lot of, huh. there's, a, there's a couple of bad apples that spoil the barrel that way. Sure. Um, so that, that, that can be a huge con as well. But that is really changing. Some authors are having a lot of success. Like the guy who's writing the wool books, Hugh Howey, mm -hmm. he's making, I think I tried to calculate it, he's probably making six figures a month. A month. A month right now. So on top published. of having, um, who's the guy who directed Blade Runner? Uh, Ridley Scott. Yeah, Ridley Scott is directing his books. And he got one of the publishing houses to agree to publish his books in print but let him keep his ebook rights. So he's still making all his money and they're printing the books for him in print and he got really good royalties and like something like $2 million from them to let them. And he is totally self-published, totally naturally self-grown. Like he did his own networking with his own fans and it grew up and he's now huge. He's one of the biggest authors out there. So people like that and there's many other like him, like J.A. Conrath and other authors who are making it huge. But there are still enough psychos who are self-publishing and enough people who still haven't connected with these new authors that yeah. there's still a bit of a stigma to it. Hmm. Good thing you're not a psycho. <laughs> ah, so uncomfortable. So at the moment, you have just released the third book in a series of four books and it's called Vampire... No, it's not. It's called Vampire. No, it's not. It's called Vampire by Bill Tucker. www.trainsinme.com <laughs> www um, slash biz. U.S. U.S. Gov. Dot Libya. L-Y. So talk about your most recent releases. So the series is called The Human Revolt. Mm -hmm. No vampire in the title at all. No vampires at all. Uh, the vampires in the books. Um, and it's originally started off as a, as a trilogy and is now a tetralogy mm -hmm. or as some people say a quadrilogy Philip you only refer to it if it's for of a movie as a quadrilogy books are a tetralogy I think Jim Potenza actually weighed in on this and said that you're mixing your Latin and your Greek Paul which is disgusting it's filthy it is space docking <laughs> space docking space docking space docking space docking <laughs> <laughs> um, so, 
yeah, so I released that. That's what I got the Kickstarter funding for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got professional author, no, professional <laughs> artist. Wait, 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 wait. Hang on. <laughs> A professional author to write your books? I got to go. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. So I got a, a professional artist to do the covers, and I got an editor to go through it. Um, but the third book refused to die, and it just kept going, going, going. Did so you I ended up direct sunlight or a stake through it. Um, I actually just I actually lost that battle. Oh, so, so I was the one that retreated, whimpering into the back of the room. So did the book bite you? Did, did you turn into a book? I mean, well, what happened was that it sort of sucked my energy and my will oh, to live. Wow, man! And defeated me. I I got to the point where I. Googled how to put a YouTube song on repeat, <laughs> and okay. I put um, Gangnam Style <laughs> on repeat on YouTube, and I was just blasting it. And I think I was for like that final week. I was writing, I was writing seven thousand words a day, then eight thousand, and then I hit. I was, the, the end kept receding like a mirage in the desert, and then I put on. I got to the point where I was just playing any sort of pop music that would just drive me forward okay and so I finally got to Gangnam Style and I think I wrote something like 12,000 words that day and I realized as I wrote those 12,000 words that the ending had just receded another 30 or 40,000 words ahead of me wow and uh, my spirit was broken and I just couldn't keep going the book was already at 120,000 words and it was going to hit 160 and it was just impossible to finish and then I was talking to a good friend of mine Brian Delius I know him and he said why don't you do what J.K. Rowling did and I laughed brokenly from the floor <laughs> with Gangnam Style. And I was like, yeah, yeah. and I was back. like, he's like, oh, like make a million dollars, sure, I'll do that. Brian's like, no, just split the last book. Apparently, that's what she did. Yeah. So I was like, that's brilliant. I went back and I saw that it was a natural separation point at about seventy-five thousand words. Wonderful. And then I chopped off the rest into book four, and it became a tetralogy. Okay. And in order, just for for the the uh, faithful, constant listeners out there, to first a little taste of juxtaposition. Um, your first book that you released, Crude Sunlight, you listened to the Tweaker album, 2 a.m. Wake Up Call, on, on repeat. That was your muse. And then for... Didn't you listen to the Social Network score? Yeah, I did that one for... For... Not Throne? Not Throne. One, one by one. One by one. So... So you listen to this this wonderful sort of nighttime, you know, dreamscape album for your first book, Crude Sunlight. You listen to. I don't know if this is going to promote the vampire books very well. You listen to the the Oscar winning score to the Social Network, a beautiful score, maybe a bit incongruous with the actual film. Introduced by Paul to me. Grazie. You listen to that while creating one by one, and then to to finish the third book in your series of four. You listen to maybe one of the most overused, if not well-constructed, pop songs since the Macarena. If you turn that song up to 11, <laughs> and you're like half slumped off your desk, okay. and your eyes are bloodshot, okay. and you don't even think you're writing a novel anymore, you're just down to writing a fleshed-out outline as you go, Sure. it can just sort of like push you a little further. Okay. So it wow. it helped me for that one day. It got twelve thousand words out. Nice. In book f- in what is now book four. So I don't yes. know if people will like it when it comes out. There's a lot of references to to Sai. To Gangnam Style. I don't know who Sai is. He's the guy who sings Gangnam Style. Oh, I just call him Mr. Gangnam Style in the book. I don't actually I don't know if it's Sai or PSI. PlayStation. G 
NP. GPA. We've we've gone off topic in a bad way. <laughs> so obsessive <laughs> digression. Shit. What was I talking about? It's called digressive obscenity. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'm drunk. I'm listening to Gundam <laughs> Style listening. on headphones right now. So the question you do not want to be asked: Book four of the Human Revolt Tetralogy. Yes. It's a stickler. It's it's hurting you to finish this. You got burnt out on the first three books. You wrote them too quickly. You, you took too much, man. You took too much, too much. Gangnam style. Exactly. What is the plan for the fourth book? How much of it is is written as a book? I've currently got about 35,000 words down. Okay. They should be fleshed out uh, into 50,000. And then I need to write the last third of the book. Okay. And you have the story in your mind. You just have to do it. Right. Gotcha. So it's... But I am burned out. Sure. I, I wrote the first three books in three months. Yeah. Um, and Which, they're, they're getting really good reviews, so they're not crap. Yeah. Don't let me do that again. Okay, so people pass I end up to you. I Don't end let up, Philip write three books in three months. And it wasn't a month per book, was it? It was something like... Was it about a month per book, or was it something ridiculous? Well, the first book I wrote in, I think, ten days. Wow. About 8,000 words a day. Okay. Um, the second book, I slowed it down to two weeks. Okay. And then the third book, because it kept going into book four, sure. that ended up sort of stretching out through the whole month. And so book three may have only been three weeks, and then it became book four. Right. God. Book four has now taken a year. Ten days, two weeks, three weeks. And a year. Wow. You have to finish it. I guess so. You have to do it. Because there are people out there that, like you say, if you read the first book... Second book, third book, they want to read the fourth book. And and actually, people have been really generous with their with their feedback and their praise. And they've except the one guy that said the only thing you've ever written. No, he's it's okay if you don't put out the fourth book. The only good thing you've written was Crime Show. He didn't say it like that, but he was like, <laughs> "I'm he gonna lay it to you." Like I, I I really like the Grind Show. I think you should go back to that. And I was like, "Well, you know, I probably should, hmm. but I should probably finish book four too." But fuck him. But fuck what, was, him. what was his name? Ned Gayman? Ned Ned Galman? Something Ed, like Ed Gant. Ed Gant. Ed Gein. Ed, is it Gein? The uh, serial killer? Suitcase penises? Ed Gein. Yeah, he said that. Okay. That's creepy because he's dead. Well. So what is next? Um, well, book four. Um, and you and I have been working on a delicious. They're, they're called Cozy Mysteries. In the industry. The, the cat mysteries? Kind of. You know, it's anytime you take a little cottage industry, like, you know, like knitting or um, crocheting or something like that in like a small English village and there's all the, maybe like a murder mystery and all the ladies get together to solve it. Yeah. Um, that or putting cameras in coffins and putting them underground and watching the body decompose on an illegal online network. Um so, so I just I like... actually asked an attorney. This is kind of a bummer. Oh. I went to an attorney. I was like, what are the legal penalties of illegally placing a camera in a coffin so that you can set up a network for people to watch bodies decompose? Mm -hmm. And he said it's not that big a deal. Because you're not invading anyone's privacy because they're dead. I think you should report this attorney. No, he said that you, you can get... Well, he made a clear distinction. Legally, it's not that big a deal. But people can still sue you for emotional damages. And isn't it illegal that you're that you're robbing that you're technically like disturbing the grave? Or no, I guess you're putting you're the camera in before. You're right. And you're not invading their privacy because they don't have any. 
So you're filming inanimate objects. You're not even you're not even necessarily trespassing. Like oh. you can, there's probably some minor things that you can get hit with. Like technically, you can still get sued the hell out of by the family if they find out. But it's not like the cops are going to show up and drag you off to jail. So basically, the premise kind of falls. Well, apart. the thing is that in the book, maybe they probably just don't want to get the hell sued out of them. Gotcha. So that still kind of works. But I was like, what was the stakes? I was like, no crap. Like really? you can you can get away with that. Shit. We should probably do this. Anyway. Yes, anyway. I wrote this novella. It's a charming, cozy mystery about necrophilia. Mm -hmm. And Paul narrated it and did a wonderful job. There's some really sexy bits, which made me very uncomfortable. They to made hear you them. very uncomfortable. Yeah, because you're... I'm saying naughty words. And you're very in character as Gabrielle. Yes, yes who's a hot chick. She's hot butts. Hot butts. Hot butts. Hot butts. So that is... We're trying to figure out how to launch that. How the fuck to launch How it. do you get people to listen to it? Beyond your Twitter followers and my media My Twitter, Twitter followers, followers won't listen to it. Really? I don't think so. God damn it. Well, yours? I, I, I'm pretty sure three quarters of my Twitter followers are bots. Because I, I quoted Ghostbusters once, I'm now being followed by the Ghostbusters quote bot. Nice. I don't think the Ghostbusters quote bot is going to listen to a sexy necrophiliac novella audio play. To be honest, we probably need to remarket it, because rebrand it. Sexy necrophiliac plays, gonna get the kind of audience we may not want. There actually isn't any necrophilia in it. Exactly. Well, no. No, there isn't. No. There's no. What if we rebrand it sexrophilia? Heterophilia. Setro, no, that Sex. sounds like heterophilia. That's which, what I said. Yeah. But um, just to clear up for the audience, a little promo. Um, the idea is that, that, or do you want to promote it? Well, you know, I mean, I don't know who's listening to this, quite frankly. I mean, I've had, this is going to be probably the 16th Hello? or 17th. No, that's a microphone. No one's Hello? Actually, no one's actually listening but, now. But in the future, they'll be listening to this. Now I'm sw speaking directly to them. Oh, you, okay, so this, okay, we're turning to the microphone. Okay, listeners. Dear listeners. Dear listeners, we're speaking directly to you now. Treasured. Treasured, constant, maybe, listeners. Cozy. I don't know who's listening. But, but we have we have produced. We've created. We birthed. Both of us. Together. Co-birthed. Co we co joined our birthing channels. It's gross. One, it's disgusting. And we co-birthed uh, this audio novella. With some help from Razor Blocky way back when. Thank you. Yes. Um, and uh, it's the, the premise is that there is this illegal camera network that people can tap into and watch bodies decompose. It's a it's fetish not, site. It's a fetish But that's site, not the focus of, of the story. That's the kind of the first half. That's the that's the gateway. That's the setup. Yes, that's the setup. And then one of the cameras in one of the coffins captures something impossible. Absolutely impossible. And terrifying. And the crew running this illegal network decide that they are going to go down into the earth and investigate what they saw. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, he doesn't know what I'm thinking. They're, right now in their heads, they're going, tra la 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 <laughs> Most likely. Listening. He, maybe he's my audience. The 78-year-old Russian man who's like, ah, the internet, I sang that song. Um, so I know what you're thinking. In most horror stories, most horror setups, it's a matter of, uh, oh, you know, look, a dark place. Well, we don't have a flashlight. My iPhone's almost out of batteries. Let's go. Let's go. Let's but do it. That's one thing that I enjoy about your more horror-related things. You take into account that somehow immediately when a situation gets weird, people get stupid. Very. And so you realize, you know, there is preparation made for this journey underground. And it's still a really bad idea. 
But they do it the best they can, I suppose. And there's some people in the group who don't care that it's a bad idea. Yes, let's and be, things let's, happen. Let's be coy to lure them into... Maybe something good happens. Maybe it turns out to be a wonderful, cozy mystery. Butter tarts. Butter tarts. So the, the problem right now, we're no longer talking to you. Oh, back to us. Is, um, is you know, how to market this. But uh, we'll figure something out, and hopefully you'll hear it at some point. I don't know. If you have any good ideas, let us know. Yes, please. How do you launch a podcast, serialized podcast yeah. horror novella? Yeah. God, I don't know. Let me know. Follow us. Follow me on Twitter. Follow, don't bother following me on Twitter. No, don't, don't, don't follow it. me on Twitter. Call Show me up in bed. Phone. Show up in person. In bed. In bed. My bed. His bed. His bed. Our bed. Our birthing canal. Our birthing canal on my home phone. And it's I'm going to give you that it's number. An <laughs> it's an app. It's fell apart. So hopefully Coffin Cam coming at you soon. Coming at you. And then there may also be a another book after that um, set in the 14th century where things don't go well. No, no. <laughs> no. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Philip, we've now reached the final moments of digressive obscenity. Which Should, is well, what was I talking about? Which is the name of the podcast you're on. Woo! <laughs> and this is the part in which I show you a list of words. You pick one. Yes. And you find it. Define me. Pick a word from this list. Define it. Define me. Define me. Yeah, that was a very hard sound effect to get. All right, I got it. All right, what did you pick, Philip? Corbentialia? Okay. How would you say that? I would pronounce that Corbentiala. Corbentiala. What is Corbentiala? Corbentiala is a very specific and niche fetish item. Okay. Uh, the name derives from uh, Corvinus, the Latin word for crow. Okay. Um, slightly distorted over the years. Of course. And it hails from those specific orgies where people would dress up in the Middle Ages as their specific animal of choice. Usually, though, they would the, the party would be organized around a theme. So you'd be either mammals or sometimes, you know, there'd be a bird party. And Corbentiala would be the prosthesis that you would wear, uh, shaped after the beak of a crow, mm -hmm. which would be used for things that no crow beak. Well, actually, crows have done a lot. Crows are pretty dirty. Yeah. So that, that would be, you would, you'd walk in sporting your Corbentiala. Wow. Girded so, around your waist. So it kind of sounds like this is sort of like a, a, an ancient Roman furry party. Middle Ages. Middle Ages. A middle-aged... For, no, a middle-aged furry party sounds like a bunch of 40-year-olds dressing up in fuzzy costumes. <laughs> they show up, and a it's medieval. a very different party. It's a medieval furry party. Kind of, yeah. But it, it got highly ritualized to the point where it's almost like those Venetian masks. Oh, yes, yes, of course. So there, there'd be a very specific... Uh, everyone have their own distinctive Corbentiala. Nice. Okay, well, Philip, thank you. It's been a long time coming. Finally did it. What are your thoughts on the podcast? Digressive Obscenity, the podcast that you're on right now. Digressive Obscenity. Look at that. That's no, it's, it's been great. It's been wonderful. Excellent. I don't know if I promoted myself as well as I might have. I don't think I actually ever talked about what the vampire books were about. Um, I mean, for example. But it was a pleasure. No, I mean, if we want to take a moment to plug, I mean, you are a writer. 
Can I write something? Right now. Did I done? Seriously though, yeah. I have known Philip for a very, very long time. He's one of the people that I have known in my life longer than I have not. We the three the, the two of us are best friends with William Pomerantz from episode two, which two. actually won geekiest guest episode on the Geeky Awards, first annual Geeky Awards, where I met Seth Green. Very nice, very short guy. And uh Philip is actually a good writer. He's not just a friend who's a writer. And you should get into his books. I mean, again, I don't know who's listening. So strap on your Corbentiala. Strap on your Corbentiala. Head over to transientme.com and read some books, yo. Books of the future. And children are the books. Read the children. Read their pages. Read their pages. <laughs> Degressive, obscenity, shit, what was I talking about? I remember just a moment ago, I was talking about something, and then I forgot what I was talking about, because I was distracted by the guy who did the thing. Degressive, obscenity, shit, what was I talking about? Thank you for listening to Digressive Obscenity. Follow us on Twitter at Digress underscore obscene. And rate and review us on iTunes. <laughs>